All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, somebody I was fortunate enough to get in touch with, and he was one of the first people who ha- who had me on his show probably 10 years ago. It was 2010 when I first published Prophet of Evil. I think I was still printing it out in a printer in something, you know, in a, a manner that was very unbook form. So I think some of those early books are out there. But his name is Visigoth. He, to me, is a living legend, one of the early podcasters. And he's done these great series, which are available now. They're still and have been uploaded to uh, Radio for All. It's R-A-D-I-O, the number four, A-L-L dot net. You'd have to go in the search bar and type in Alembic. But many of the shows I've listened to, and uh, it's really just a great honor to have him on the show again and just to kind of reconnect. So, Visigoth, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, William. What's up? Not much, man. Just uh, just <laughs> moving along, trucking along, I guess, back into 2020. So it's been 10 years. It's been a decade. And you've done hundreds of hours. I mean, you had so many shows. And you have about 100 hours of shows on Radio 4 All. And can you talk, I mean, we talked a little bit in the pre-show and sent an email, but you really started so early. You're really one of the first real, even, I don't even think they were calling it podcasting, but you were really one of the first broadcasters of the internet back in 2002. So for people who don't know Visigoth, V-Y-Z-Y-G-O-F, G-O-T-H, sorry, um, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got started and and just uh, go from there? Well, the, the show's origins were in uh, June 2002, and how that came about was that, uh, you know, I, I was living in Florida at the time, and the two local stations that we had, two AM stations, were playing uh, pretty much the full menu of GCN, which had uh, Alex Jones on it and uh, John, uh, I can't remember what his name Szymanski? was. Anyway. Oh, no, please, not Greg Szymanski, no. <laughs> no, um, John. I don't know if it started RBN. I can't remember, but there was also the the, the, the uh, Power Hour with Joyce and Dave. Uh, there was Trudeau there. Um, so anyway, uh, I listened to those those shows, and it it started to resonate with me. And we can talk about why that that is. But um, in time, I started getting in touch with the people that were at the AM stations. And one of them, Harry Spencer, uh, came to where I was working at St. Leo's University. Uh, there was an opening that occurred there, and I knew Harry enough that I said to him, hey, you might want to look into this, and he did. So we were working together at St. Leo University, and that was probably March '02. And since he was at GCN and he heard all the Patriot stuff, and because he knew where I was at, or getting there anyway, uh, he chose to do the show, and he named it Beyond the Grassy Knoll. And we did half-hour shows that were uh, on pirate radio locally in uh, Dade City. And then also went up on Radio for All. And we did that for a while. And then eventually I took the show to those two AM stations from which he had already left. And I did a weekly two-hour show. And I did that for a number of years. And then the show, uh, the uh, stations got sold. It got a little weird, as things usually do when there's a change of ownership. And eventually I went off to doing podcasting. Uh, probably from 06 onward. And you're right, in the beginning, they didn't call it podcasting, and that's what we were doing. Uh, and so uh, that's how it all started. And um, and you I had mean, yeah, you had so many groundbreaking shows and people 
and just uh, and they're on they're on YouTube. I'm looking at them now. You've had uh, some people have re-uploaded many of your old shows from before 2010 when I was on. But uh, you know well, how? Do, I, sorry. What I, no, I was going to say is that unfortunately, the shows that we've done at the AM station, some of them were really powerful, and they have not been saved. Uh, and that's why I kind of hesitated because a lot of good stuff that was on in those years when we were at WBCF and WZHR. Uh, didn't get there, but I mean, it was things like, you know, the <laughs> really emotional stuff. And, and at that time, we streamed also. That was a great boom for everyone. I mean, if you're in a station that only has like about, what, 10,000 people are listening, uh, potentially, I mean, the stream gives you worldwide coverage. And we had people on that were talking about the excesses of child protective services. There were a few things. And also, I don't know if people remember this at all, but Terry Schiavo was a woman in Florida who was... Um, I don't want to say somewhat catatonic, but she she was breathing, let's put it that way. She and was, was in a vegetative a, state. Yes, thank you very much. But by the way, do you remember that uh, that episode? Vaguely, yeah. I didn't follow it in great detail, but I recall they wanted the family wanted to pull the life support, correct? No, the family, well, it, it, gets, it gets really interesting. Now, the family wanted <clears throat> to preserve her, but her husband wanted to pull the plug, and therein lies the rub, if you know what I'm trying to say, because she had an event that uh, kind of put her into the final state she was in. But the point was, is that I had on um, her brother and her lawyer, uh, Pat Anderson, and there was some really compelling shows in those days, and I'm sorry they didn't make it, but uh, that, was, that was pretty good radio. I mean, I'm not trying to s reduce the people that were subjects of this to be, you know, um, centers of some kind of, like, popularity thing, but they, they were pretty heavy at that time. And, I, I mean, even myself... Sometimes I was just shaking after it was over with because you're dealing with people who were right in the midst of that. And that was a really corruption-centered uh, event that finally took Terry's life. But anyway, be that as it may. So anyway, the, the AM shows, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get up there. But we had callers, and uh, it, it was the high time. But, you know, what are you going to do? And when things change and the ownership isn't, like, really necessarily caring about what you do or even in back of it, uh, I, we had to go. So, But anyway, that, that was a good time. And, um, and it was some time before even you and I ever got together, because that was like four years before we ever talked. Right. But by that time, I had already gone down to podcasting. And unfortunately, I have to say, I mean, there were so many mountebanks, phonies in the 9-11 movement and, and other places in the Patriot movement that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time banging heads with people because I know that they were lying. And, you know, people have favorites like Alex Jones and such, you know, they just they worship them. And so if they go bad, they still go with them because, well, after all, it's, you know, it's Alex or whatever. And uh, that didn't really go well for me. In fact, if you look in the comments section <laughs> of the shows that are up there on, on YouTube, you'll find that they've been discontinued or disabled or whatever. <laughs> well, it hasn't changed much. I mean, there still are uh, attention seekers and scoundrels and uh, people manipulating the public is still going on to this day. There's a lot of hoaxes. And, you know, what they call LARPers. Now, I don't know if you've heard that term, but some of these people are clearly putting on a, a fake persona and just playing it out online like it's a big joke. And really, and actually getting a lot of people to follow them, too. So, I don't know if that was similar to what you experienced over 10 years ago. William, absolutely. In fact, what I did was, the year after I got off the AM stations, I did a weekly show on Live 365. Uh, and I... I, I I did it for a year, 
and I kind of lost my vision because in the beginning, what I really wanted to do was find out what the world is really like and what our country is really like. I mean, this is all a lie. And I went off on that tact, but then I got sidetracked and kind of started doing, I mean, not, I mean, like what you might be doing or whatever. Not that that's bad, but it wasn't what I was going for, because as I started to interview more and more people, I realized that they didn't know any more than I did. And that wasn't getting me any closer. And then in the final uh, years, that's where I went, because it, it is a fact of life. It'll be the way it's always been, that the masses will always go for the easy way out. They'll follow anybody. They don't want to commit. And that really is the basis of why things don't change, because uh, through millennia, it's always been the same. Yes. Control yeah. the masses and the government or the power that be at that wherever that should be has no problem at all. It will it will never be shaken from where it's at. Right. It'll self sustain itself forever, right? Generally. If they can we, mind control them or control we, their control the outflow of information. And of course we've seen it no more than I mean, no worse or greater, however you want to talk about it, than it is today. I mean with twenty four seven everything, with ubiquitous supposedly news, I mean it's it's it, I mean, the lives are just that much easier. People don't think for themselves. They don't analyze. They don't read. No, they don't so, read. No. All right. I mean, you know yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Right. Well, I mean, well, I'm right with you, man. I, I mean, I know they don't read. I mean, one of the reasons of my, my podcast, while I kind of veered off from doing videos or research, was just to try to put books before people, get authors and actual real stuff. Uh, that's that has a basis in you know a foundation and truth, because some of this other stuff is just off the charts. Dave Ike, you know, some of these these people are talking about you know multidimensional aliens and all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, yeah, but you know it's really true. I think that you really have to change the minds of the masses to get anything to veer anything either towards a beneficial outcome or even you know people who are malevolent always are uh, concentrating on putting their ideas into the masses' minds. And that's really why, as much as we have been, you know, and here's one of my best lines, I think, if you've never heard it, but this is what I came up with, and that is Americans are propagandized into believing they can't be propagandized. Right, no, that's so fitting. That should be put into uh, some kind of granite rock and stuck in the, stuck in the center of D.C. Uh, and, and as a result, I mean... It, it is the reason we don't want a democracy, which is mob rule. It's true. Right, right. And that is because if you, like you said, you can get the masses on your side, there'll be no uprisings. What makes me laugh is that we, you know, we in that democracy, we talk about, well, we vote for the president. Uh, well, you really don't. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about there, because honestly, we know electoral colleges and such, but our votes mean nothing. As George Carlin said, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it makes us feel like we have the process when we don't. Right. And so that's it. I mean, you know, it's it's. Hey, it's you can just look at this this Democratic primary. They just rigged the whole thing, switch the votes at the end. Then it's Joe Biden, creepy Joe, corrupt, hyper corrupt Biden, unbelievable. Without really much of uh, an outroar outroar from the rank and file Democrats. Like I just left party politics ten years ago. I'm a, I'm an independent. But yeah, no, it was incredible. God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's a, t- uh, it's a tough I mean, road. I have to laugh because I, that was a whiplash turnaround. And I mean, I mean, I hate to say it, but.
but for quite some time, if not from the very beginning, although in cruder ways in earlier uh, years, pre- elections have been thrown and rigged all the time. Right. So true. <clears throat> they were done on a lower level, even back in the 18th century. I mean, it's never been a time of wonderful elite, you know, um, purebred people who just cared about government and such. That's all a bunch of crap. Right. So true. It's about power and money. Yeah. And they've been killing people, secretly murdering people, suiciding people for hundreds of years, if not longer, poisoning, strange, uh, you know, fortunate deaths or people who were put into comas. I think that's been going on forever. Some of the assassins yeah. are just overt. I mean, you look at Kennedy, very overt, but uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can just look at the last presidential election in 2016. Tons of people ended up dead, man. Tons of people, bodies showed up. If not just Seth Rich, I don't know if you followed that, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I mean, it's but, kind of like uh, coming to uh, being woke is kind of like coming to uh, cold. Like you, what did you say? It used to have a phrase too that was the cold, dispassionate, dispassionate oh, no, no. search for truth. What was that one? I tell you what, that's a perfect lead. We couldn't have done it better if we had worked together for years. Okay. Okay. What I was going to say to you, and this is in this particular work, and also the Uticans, uh, Herb Smith and Andy Sr., use it as like an epigraph on their uh, website. The reason I'm going to bring this up, and it's only going to take me about 40 seconds, this is, this is the way of the world in 40 seconds. It was a poem entitled Be Angry at the Sun by Robinson Jeffers in 1941. There's a background to that we can't get into right now, but he was a man that was saddened at the fact that two of his favorite countries, the United States and Japan, were going to go at it. And this is what he he wrote. That public men publish falsehoods is nothing new. That America must accept like the historical republics, corruption and empire, has been known for years. Be angry at the sun for setting if these things anger you. Watch the wheels slope and turn. They are all bound on the wheel. These people, those warriors, this republic, Europe, Asia... Observe them gesticulating, observe them going down. The gang serves lies. The passionate man plays his part. The cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. You are not Catullus, you know, to lampoon these crew sketches of Caesar. You are far from Dante's feet, but even farther from his dirty political hatreds. And this is the kicker. Let boys want pleasure and men struggle for power and women perhaps for fame. And the servile to serve a leader and the dupes to be duped. Yours is not theirs. Holy mackerel. So, yes, that line about the cult passion for truth, hunts and no pack, uh, that they have used and you remember is from Robinson Jeffers' poem, from 41. Yeah, that's a great one. Thanks for reading that. Yeah, because that was another of your axioms you repeated. Sometimes it was a summation on one of your shows. I remember that. Like, I've, you know, I've listened to so many of those shows. That was really, you were the one who introduced me to Dave McGowan. So that's how, and that was, uh, I think, a show from 2007, if what's been uploaded to your thing is all right. So, like, you've interviewed literally a legend, a guy who's still having an influence. People are still referencing his books, Program to Kill and Laurel Canyon, to this day. I I miss uh, Dave McGowan quite a bit. Um, For me, he was always available, which I think he was probably too available, because I think it really ran him dry. But he was a glib spirit, and I used to kid him. I used to call him this, the, um, oh, what's his, oh, geez, please don't let me get a brain fart now. I call him the Steve, what's his face, <laughs> from um, Steve Miller. All right. Miller, right. As Steve Miller was to music, with a kind of a joking spirit and stuff, I thought that Dave was. 
Yeah, I would he agree. He had a blithe spirit. He had, and this is not, this is a, ta- I mean, a talent that you're born with. He, he probably pissed off no one. He was just a, a, that kind of guy. And I mean, I could never be that. Um, and I could never try to be that, but he did. And I, I miss his, his openness and I miss his information. And I just miss him like as a person. And I'll tell you what, I mean, there, there really isn't too much time that goes by that I don't think about him. In fact, I had done the last interview with him. Um, probably in 15 or so. And, um, you know, it was kind of hard to get through all that because he was getting closer to the end. But boy, I mean, um, there'll never be one like him. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's, I I just can't see it happening again. Yeah, it's a shame because, you know, he was right on so many of those subjects, whether it's the moon landing, which I didn't know much about, or... Uh, you know, ser- the politics of serial killing or a, a subject that you dealt with often, which was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So he did a whole series on that as well. I mean, this broad conspiracy. Uh, yeah, I mean, any 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 said 9-11 was an inside job, I think, on September 12th, you know, 2001. So he saw, th- I didn't see through that, I'm ashamed to say, but uh Yeah. He's going to be a unique one. And I think he had an egalitarian kind of maybe a bias just towards like the cold, dispassionate search for truth. I think that that was really his bias. And I think that that's why so much, he's so accessible to so many different people. It's really not really that politicized. I guess just kind of, uh, kind of <laughs> unraveling all the lies we've been told in our history books, I guess. Oh, without a doubt. And we, we talk a lot about, um, about Lincoln and Booth, and that was the last kind of exchange of information that we had. Um, and I think that was probably just before he knew he was as sick as he later found out he was. Um, and, and that was good to, to be with him for that time. And, um, and he went on with as far as he could go, and then he and I last talked um, on a show hosted by another individual, um, and, and that was the end, really. So... Uh, he he just did a good job and and you know but but the other thing also too is I mean he, he put all these things together about the way government reacts to us and all I was trying to say beyond that not that we did this at all but my point was that it's been that way forever it is that way now America is no different and we got to figure out as individuals how we're going to navigate this because unfortunately at least in my estimation, and I, I'll, I'll bet the keys to the camper on it, things are not going to get better. You know, government's in a position now where it feigns being our, uh, our um, advocate, but really it's, it's our adversary, and it's only as good to us, and I think that with all governments, they're only as good to the people as they have to be. Right. The main point is to protect the power. Yes, and we were in these times now when we don't have statements. We have. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say straight out. If you're in D.C., man, you're a whore. You know. Otherwise, you're not gonna get reelected after one term. You either play ball and take the money and run, or you just get ostracized and you just don't get reelected. I mean, to me, they're they're they're, they're an absolute disgrace. In fact, they give prostitutes a bad name. It's true. Very true, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, we we have we have a process that looks like it's something. And what makes me laugh, you know, does anybody in America ever ask after watching, at least with the presidential elections, right, this quadrennial bullcrap session 
where they promise things that never happened. And then the next four years, they come out and promise the same things. I can almost sit here and lip sync above or beyond what they're saying on TV. It's like, okay, when are they going to get to the, the affordable health? Yeah, the affordable health. Yeah, we're going to get this, right? And it never, ever changes. We are absolutely left hanging in the wind with a country that's crumbling from the inside and being cut by a thousand slices deliberately. And everybody's just whooping it up about Republicans and Democrats. And it's like, folks, you don't know, that's a puppet show. Yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I did a show on D.C. That was kind of uh, a show where I kind of just offloaded all of my, you know, stories about being there. And I think we talked about Patrick yeah. Patrick Knowlton, right? And Vince Foster, death, all that stuff. It was interesting to see that all pop back up during Kavanaugh, too, who, you know, co-wrote the Star Report. Um, so, yeah, the past is still present in a lot of ways. I think that's one of the reasons why the Democratic Party went after Kavanaugh so bad is that they knew they were, he recorded all of the footnotes about Bill Clinton and all the grotesque women that he was with and sexual acts and all that stuff. But never, never talked about in the mass media, that's for sure. Yeah, but we carry on this, like, you know, this double thing where we believe in things we know are false. And right. everybody just right. seems to be okay with it. As if, if they didn't believe in that, they would, like, drift off into space and never come back again. Like, they need something to moor themselves. And it's like, is this it? I mean, are you kidding me? No, no it's really a joke. Like, look at these primaries and all these, these uh, debates. They're just fake. It's just like, why are people tolerating this? Why are they even commenting on uh, the puppet show? It's uh, it's really something else. You're right. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> you, For people who don't know, you have a D.C. experience as well. You were, at least for a little bit, FBI uh, bound, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. That, that's another thing I got attacked for, being in the FBI. Right, yeah. Well, let me tell you how romantic this was. I was in the basement of the Hoover Building below some labs that God knows what they were doing because the stench that came through our office was was just absolutely horrible. So I was processing gas and oil expenditures by all the field agents in the United States while I was waiting for my three years so I could go to Quantico, which is baloney. They just did that with a lot of people. It's the old story. I mean, like you come down, you're supposed to like, you know, go, you know, check up all the boxes. But in the end, they want you, they use the old psychological profile to either... Uh, cast you out or, or bring you in. And I knew that after three years, someone like me was not going to do that. The psychological profile. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because all these other FBI guys are, you know, all in the news today. And those are the people who went down that other path that you didn't go through. So, Stroke and uh, Comey and all these other people somehow, I don't know if as much of Comey was an FBI, but. Uh, some of these other characters, you can tell that they're just natural-born bureaucrats. They just say whatever they're supposed to say, sit in the chair, keep it warm, do what they're told. I mean, do you ever get that feeling if you've been pay- if you've watched this whole, uh, you know, Mueller fiasco? I mean, it, it it is a mess. I mean, the agents in the field and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of them are detachment and happily so. And I have to tell you that. When I went down to the bureau in, in uh, June of 76, uh, I made two friends who I stayed friends with, you know, to this very day. I mean, lately we just have fallen out of touch, but, and they were good guys. They really were. And I'm glad that they were in the bureau because they were very sensible people. And I was happy about that. I'm sure there's a lot of agents that are like that. But, you know, this is another place. I guess what I'm saying is one of the last questions I asked my friend Dennis 
uh, we were together down in Florida. And I said to him, and I probably shouldn't have, but I said, you know, man, I never realized how many black ops the FBI is behind. And he looked at me, now retired, and he said, oh, yeah. But he didn't say anything further. I just let wow, it go at wow, that. Wow. I mean, and, and that's the point. You, you see things up front. You see people who are in any agency or whatever that are kind of like what everyone else is like. But it's what's going on behind the screen that you get to worry about. All the black ops that go on that nobody knows about that never happened. You know what I mean? Right. That never come to the public eye. They just don't even know they're going on. Absolutely. It's that's really terrifying. Is you don't know what some of these other guys with a stroke has been up to and counter intel, all this other stuff is all, it's all you know behind the curtain. You know, um, in in the sixties, before and of course after uh, Kennedy's assassination, I often wondered how much was pulled off during that time. Because that's a time when Americans were pretty much asleep. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that derogatorily. I mean, my father caught both wars. He caught World War II in Korea. I mean, in the 60s, you know, he, he wanted to just raise his kids, have a home, blah, blah, blah. And I can't blame him or anyone else like that. It was a time when people had enough of all that. However, in back of that time, a lot of stuff got done that socially engineered where we are today. And when I see some of the ops that were pulled off to include the assassination, I'm like, man, how in the world do we ever like let that go by? Because, but we believed in the government. We wanted to believe that there will be no more problems. And they took it upon themselves, whoever they are, to go ahead and engineer the world that we have today, which I have to admit is not looking too good for uh, the peasants. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, those uh, the '60s were t very tumultuous, and so many Kennedys and uh, MLK and Malcolm X, all these people. You kind of go back. There's a lot of FBI involvement there, you know, or CIA as well. Well, I, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I'm sitting there going, I think the last assassination was was Bobby's, and I mean, what am I? I'm a junior in high school, and I'm like, what? I mean. I saw one, you know, close up and personal when with the, with the the shooting of Lee Harvey Oswald and back of the assassination. I mean, you know, I know of that MLK, um, and then Robert Kennedy, and it's like, is this like the way things are? I mean, is this part of like the whole American landscape thing that nobody told me about? I mean, in a way, you know, I should have asked more, but I shut down. But then in the seventies, it got really strange. And, of course, culminated with um, Kent State. And I think that just broke the spirit of protest in the United States forever. I cannot believe what happened that day. I was going to a, my college baseball game, and I was told the game is canceled. I'm going, why? Well, they went Kent State. I'm going, what? What are the hippies doing now? That's where my head was at, right? Mm -hmm. I go home, and I start to watch this on TV. I'm going, my God, is this, is this like Moscow? Holy mackerel, what are these troops doing? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is that a lot of stuff went on that really pressed Americans' tolerance for believing that we were still like, you know, something different than everyone else, that it was all true about Washington, and then, uh, right. and it wasn't. But yeah, right. No, yeah, it was lot, incredible. Incredible era. No, I mean, a lot went down. There's no two ways about it. Now I look back at it, I mean, I was like 13 and 11 and doing all that stuff, and I just realized what all got pushed through, and I can't blame our parents or your parents or anyone else's for not being astute about this. You know, they go to the polls thinking they're, they're going to vote people to caretake our society. And you realize that they didn't do that. I mean, they didn't, you know, caretake the society. 
you know, and here we are today. I mean, a lot of us know what's going on, but we have no voice, really. It's just in kind of an underground voice, almost like we are in a communist state or something in the Soviet Union, where you just have these underground podcasts and other people, but nobody at the, in really in an authoritative position in the media is really willing to stick their neck out on any any past subjects, or else they're gone. You know, they just get they get canceled. I, I think we've entered an era where the idea of government is going to probably just pass away. I mean, right now, we don't know how much we're getting sold out. And everybody else everywhere in, around this world are. I mean, we're headed for a, a third world war. There's no two ways about it. And after that, there'll be no more nations. You know, a la, you know, John Lennon's Imagine. Um, and, and we're in the throes of this right now. We just don't realize that where we're going is going to be far worse than what we've been in. And that when you look at world government, you're really working at centuries-long plan for world government run by elites who really don't give a crap about you. You're only here for as much use as you have to us, and we really don't want you around after uh, the fact. Right, good point. I mean, how do you see uh, World War III playing out? What do, what do you predict in the future? Do you have any ideas on that? Uh, it's not my own ideas, but I will tell you this. There's one thing that I really cleave to. I read uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski's The Grand Chessboard, which came out, I guess, around 1994. And he, he stated in the book, and this just caught me, because in 94, I mean, we really had no beef with much of the Middle East. I mean, we went through the Iraq thing. Yeah, I got that. But that's about it. And, and, and so what it said was, or what Brzezinski wrote was, the United States would be unwise to agitate an axis of Iran, China, and Russia. And I said, huh? That's interesting. And I never forgot it. And I think he stated it a second time in the book. And then I realized, as you know, as I had just started to get into this whole thing about conspiracy and have the radio show, that the elites sometimes give you fair warning, shall I say, in quotations. They'll give you a wink and a nod if you're paying attention to what's going to happen. And I always cleave to that. And I said, that's what I think is going to happen. It's going to go back to the Mideast and even though we had no beef with Iran, it would have been years after the hostage thing, blah, 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 that Brzezinski would write that then as an insider. I think he was telling us, this is what you can expect. And that's what I'm saying to you. Screw North Korea. I mean, every time Elvis comes out, North Korea, and like lobs a couple of duds into the ocean, everybody gets all up in arms. But it's Iran. Not that Iran is bad in itself, but it's going to be used as a trigger to start a war that we are going to engage on the Eurasian continent. And we are not going to win this one. I would also, huh? Interesting. I mean, well, I mean, by the way, if you do a search on uh, the Grand Chessboard uh -huh. PDF, uh, you can download the whole book from the CIA's website. <laughs> really? Wow. What about? Uh, did you read Between Two Worlds or whatever the other one was? What was the that title? That was also his. Yes, the Technotronic Age. Yes, yes. right. So he and so, bo both of those are kind of. Uh, Occult in nature. I was, I was astonished that he kept with that theme for his books because the chessboard is like, uh, you know, the power of the mind. It symbolizes and it's in a lot of creepy occult movies. And then you've got the past world and the new world order in the in the second book. So, uh, and and you know, he was a David Rockefeller CFR kind of uh, henchman. Yeah. yeah, he was a henchman, yeah. really. Um, the Grand Chessboard also refers to. Uh, something that came out of uh, London, 
uh, in the first decade of the 20th century, around 1904 to 9, I can't remember. Sir Halford Mackinder was the first geo uh, politician, and he um, instructed us to look at the world differently than we do now. And he said, in time, it will all be about the Eurasian continent uh, uh, from uh, Lisbon to Vladivostok. And he said, whatever power can win over Eurasia uh, will rule the world. And the pivot point in that Eurasian continent is, is what Mackinder, well, Mackinder called it uh, the pivot point. Uh, Brzezinski used Mackinder's scheme and called it the grand chessboard, too. So where you see Americans now, we're never getting out of there. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a showdown there, and we're going to be the odd man out because this is one time when we're going across oceans to try to fight or defend something. We're not the ones that have to sit back in the United States and use our oceans as barriers. We're going to go there, and it's not going to fare, we're not going to fare well against China and Russia who will join to get rid of the interloper. And are you saying that the kind of central access point is somewhere in the Middle East or Iraq? Is that what you're saying? Or is that what Yeah, you're just above that. Um, and, of course, <clears throat> you and any of your listeners just want to put in a pivot point, a world island, a Halford Mackinder. Uh, you'll see the Mercator maps that have been produced in back of what um, he, he uh, uh, posited back then. There were a lot of things that came out of London at that time that I find very interesting. It's as if the social engineering for the next century or two came out of there. Because at the same time, there was a book by, um, uh, let's see. I mean, we can always put up the links, I guess, uh, okay. if you don't uh, reference this. But it was a um, Anglican priest, I believe, that turned Catholic. John, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'll figure it out. But okay. anyway, he, he wrote a book called Lord of the World. And it now get this, it was written before World War One and it predicted a war where the Asian Empire would move west against Europe with the United States as the only force to get between Europe's destruction and this Asian invasion. That's pretty wild. To Is predict it Robert Hugh Benson? Robert Hugh Benson? You're beautiful. How'd uh, you do that? I just <laughs> looked it up on the Internet. 1907. <laughs> OK, yes, it's it's yes. Robert U. Benson, that work came out. McKinder's work came out at that same time. And then also later on, I mean, you, you've got um, George Orwell, you know, a.k.a. Eric Blair, who also was involved in that and gave us 1984, which, you know, it was taught in English class in my day. And it shouldn't have been. It should have been a poli sci. Right. But they treated it as a parody, as an analogy, as a ho-ho. But I'm telling you right now, those people in and around London at that time knew what was going to happen. It was already in the works. And what, what um, and even what Huxley wrote, too, you know, with, with Brave New World, those characters knew what was coming, and it did not spell a good existence for the rest of us, right. you know, time immemorial. Right, and I mean, wasn't Wells, these guys are all influenced by H.G. Wells, so you've got this whole kind of future world um, coming on. But this Benson was pretty grim. His, his conclusions were pretty grim, weren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I don't know if you if you read it all, if you no. just picked it up, if you just cherry-picked it off the Internet, I mean, good deal. But if you read it yourself, uh, yeah, you'll find that, I mean, it, it, it all points to the same things. I mean, with, uh, with Benson, he talked about three spheres of influence, uh, of course, and that predated even uh, 
uh, Orwell's, you know, three spheres also, you know, right. Oceanics and all that stuff. Right. And I just wondered how in the world they knew that. And I don't think it was just by being lucky, you know, or, or guessing correctly. And H.G. Wells, by the way, again, like in 1904 or so, uh, they held this uh, forum on population control. It's, it's on a website called Galton.org, G-A-L-T-O-N. And in it, I mean, H.G. Wells, who doesn't seem to be that great a guy, turns around and says, you know, screw this selective breeding, you know, to try to population control. He says the way of the world has always been to kill the hindmost. Which wow. means the feeble. Yeah, that's where Wells's head was at. Yeah. Well, uh, there, uh, Blair and Wells were friends, so uh, you know he that he read all of Wells's stuff and was always criticizing it, and writing stuff. So these guys all knew Wells very well, is my understanding. So you have to think. I mean, see, to me, Europe has always been the center of this universe. Americans think that we're all that because we kicked a lot of ass and we fought a lot of wars and we're really strong. And, uh, yeah, okay. But you know what? In the end, to me, and, and I could provide proof of this, that the United States relationship to the UK has been like that of, of in um, the Max, um, Mad Max movies. Right. You Max know, the Thunderdome Master. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Master Blaster. You remember that? Yep. Huh? Okay. Master is UK. Blaster is us. You catch my drift? Absolutely. So the thing is, is that even though we could do everything, we are under the control, frankly, of the Brits. It's never, ever changed. This place is a rental. And what I'm saying is that within a short time, and that may be 50 years, I don't know, um, our day is over. You know, the, the era of the United States is finished. We did what we were supposed to do, and it was at the behest of the powers in Europe. Um, right, the new Atlantis? Well, you know, there was a book called The Manissus Chronicles, and that's like M-A-N-I-S-I-S. It was a publication out of the Rosicrucian Society out of, uh, I believe it's Quarrysville, Pennsylvania. And it was written by a Brewington, which is obviously a, a pseudonym. But it laid out something that really curled the hairs on the back of my neck about what was going to happen to us. And he portrayed that the United States would be invaded by the old world. And that the only thing that would stop the invasion, which would bring other nations, armies in here, would be a, a, a tremendous geological global cataclysm, which would be so destructive that it would withdraw the armies because everybody had to go back to their native lands to see if they had them at all. That kind of thing. You know, high lands were laid low, low lands, you know, became high. Right. But the fact of that always struck me because that is a very plausible, and here's the thing, they said it was at a time where our armies were not at home, which if you think about it now, it's always that way. You know, think about how many of our troops are being deployed elsewhere, and how much do we really have at home if the uh, doo-doo hit the oscillator, you know? Right, no question. I mean, how many bases do we have around the world? 200? I, I don't even know. It's a huge And you right? have to wonder, really, going into Afghanistan in October of 2001, you know, what is the mission? Does the mission change? I mean, we've been there now almost 20 years. It ain't about, you know what I mean? It ain't fighting there so that we'll be safe here. They're getting ready for this last one that's going to take place just where the Bible says it will. Right. I mean, it's crazy to think that all everything could just 
play out just like Armageddon, right? Everything just moves into the Middle East as the center of everything. <clears throat> you know, I had written to you and I said, when I, when I did the podcasting in the beginning, when we were doing pirate radio, it was secret societies. That always gets everybody interested. And it is pretty interesting. But that's not the end of the matter. And then I got into a middle ground there where I was trying to interview patriots and, you know, and, and look for the answer there. And they're no better than the regular public because they all, you know, you hear all these people go, we have to get back to the Constitution. Right. Well, but when was the Constitution ours? Oh, we have to get back to good government. Well, when was good government really ours? So they're all looking for the same thing that they're never going to find. In this last uh, stage, with most of the stuff on Radio for All, it isn't really pleasing to people, and I understand it. It is not the kind of thing that, you know, could keep me advertisers and make me money and all that other stuff, but it is, in fact, the truth. I'm not saying anybody has to pat me on the back, but I did this, what I thought was probably is a public service, and also to answer my question, what is the way of the world? And what I'm seeing now and what I put up on, on Radio for All is that, you know, we're going to fall. It's, it's the same as it's always been. And then, of course, we get into the end times and revelation, which I believe in, um, and that it, it's not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to go well for us until, well, frankly, Christ returns. And, of course, that will probably get you uh, no listeners at all. But <laughs> no, no, they just left. I think that standard listener, actually, of my podcast, they go about 18 minutes and then drop off. They have kind of the... <laughs> The attention span of a fruit fly, they just play off. So they, there's nobody who's even heard this right now. So It's probably three people. Well, you know, I mean, in the beginning I wanted to know the way things really were, and I will tell you that I found out. Uh, I'm not being conceited about this because, I mean, I've gone through everything. Believe me, nobody asked me to do this. I'm not complaining. But I went through stuff that I thought, you know, I mean, it was really – a long, arduous thing. And in the end, it isn't a really pleasant outcome. And here's the problem. Americans especially have been inured to this, like, happy ending, Hollywood ending thing. Yes. And you know what? Sometimes the Calvary doesn't come in time. Sorry to say. Um, and, I mean, yeah, this is where I get, like, churchy, but I'm not a churchgoer. I just believe in the Bible. And it's, it's headed that way. I mean, as I wrote to you in an email... I mean, to me, the, the New World Order is just Satan's takeover, and we're getting right. closer to that time. Right. It's I totally agree with you. Off. I don't know. Yeah. No, but, I totally agree with you on that. It's interesting that you've done all that study. You've done hours and hours of study, and you've just come back to sit right there at, uh, at the Scripture. You're sitting there right at the end of Scripture in Revelation. Like, this is where it all makes sense. So then you kind of verified this kind of prophetic... Um, view that it's ominous and that the, the, the way the world ends is not with uh, it's with a bang and a whisp, whimper right or it's, uh, it's unfortunate it's interesting that you bring that up like you have this kind of ominous outlook at the end but I talk to people out here in LA and they just don't want to talk about anything with a hint of shade or darkness they literally just want to watch Hallmark movies and things with happy endings. They just don't want to accept anything else that could be grim. And that probably explains a lot of why we have the current political leaders that we have. Is they just can't accept certain things about that. They just like the surface, you know, red, white, and blue disguise. You know, believe me when I tell you that I'm no different than anyone else. I want the news to be good. I want there to be a happy ending. But throughout my lifetime, and, and part of it's because, like, when I was a kid in the 50s, 
and you know the World War II vets were back and kind of still not over it, and the Korean vets just came back. I mean, my father would go and play softball with the guys, and I was like six or seven, and I had to tag along. And then he would bring me back to the bar where the guys all like had drinks, and they gave me enough money to buy cokes and play shuffleboard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I heard stuff. You know how you know how as kids we we really listen to what adults say, but when we become adults. We think that the kids aren't listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. right. So, so, and I heard stuff and I'm like, all right. And I just shelved it, you know, put it back in the library in my brain somewhere and said, okay. But that stayed with me. And throughout time, there were enough things that, to keep that alive, that things are not the way we were told. And I didn't want to believe that about the United States. And we continued and continued. And I don't know if you remember, I did a series with a, a gentleman who, who called himself the informer. Right. Uh, he and another gentleman, James Montgomery, were great researchers, and they pulled apart even the United States, and they gave the reason. I mean, they gave the documentation, and in the end, that's that's kind of where I kind of stopped, uh, because I realized then, yeah, okay, there isn't really any hope uh, in governments and in, in the flesh, and I mean that's just the way it is. If I wasn't Christian, I wouldn't care anyway. If I don't even know what that word means anymore, but I do believe in the Bible, and I realized that you know that that's kind of it. And I don't wish that upon anybody, and I and I kind of wish I didn't go the way I did, but I did, and I realized that that's the truth. And you might say, "Well, it's my truth." Well, I'm like, "Well, no, I think pretty much it is the way." But um, that's how it goes. But you know what? In the end, you can understand why I could never go on any more stations or any of these other like internet. People don't want to hear that. That ain't right. gonna make money. Yeah. So well, that's funny because you used to you used to write the Patriot movement P A Y. Yeah, Patriot. <laughs> Patriot, right? Which I mean, it's a good cash cow. I gotta tell you, you know, you you placed yourself somewhere over there where you're, you know, talking about reforming the government to keep America great again. Those guys are in the money. Yeah, and that's what people want, and and that's why too, because I always said that money changes everything. And with people that are out there now, you know, with iHeart coming out with all these podcasts, all these characters want to do is make money. All you're doing is like tripling or quadrupling all the noise that's out there anyway on radio. I mean, I, I still like listening and tuning in an AM radio from somewhere in Kansas. So, I mean, we're stationed somewhere in Kansas. But well, that's the way it's gone. It's yeah. all being monetized. But don't look for the truth when it comes to money because the truth always comes out second. Well, I would agree with that. You're, all of your Informer series are on uh... – the internet. So if you go to the YouTube and just type in the Informer, Visigoth, or Matrix Cutter, yeah. it'll pop up. So there's 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 so much of your material uh, in varied places on YouTube. So people have really tried to archive a lot of your stuff. Collins Brothers, Barbara Hartwell, The Informer, Founding Father, Fairy Tale. So so much of the stuff is still here. Yeah, I um, I had a pretty good run. But when I started out, I never meant for it to last forever, because if you had a message to bring, you bring it. Uh, and then I think it's done. If I stayed around longer, it would be for other reasons, like making money and you know running a variety show and stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what I wanted to do. In that middle period, as I refer to, I kind of lost my way and started getting into other things and, and having you know great guests on and all this other stuff. But it wasn't bringing me any closer to where I was, and I was attracting a lot of people who I did not want to be attracted by. So, I mean, I, I just, you know, brought it all down. In fact, I burned everything down and, uh, and came back up. And you were involved in that last manifestation. Um, 
And that's it. I mean, uh, that was you, pretty much all there was. You had a long run. I mean, what, 15 years, something like that, at least. But ten, started in 2002. Yeah, so. But those are some good hours. I mean, they're, the, like you said, there's no... Uh, they're really good long-form interviews. There's no ads. There's no break-for-ads. There's no. no scare tactics. There's no three-headed frogs in the water. you got to buy a, a Berkey, you know. People, that's the funny <laughs> thing about Jones is they people never key in that he's hard-selling his items. Hey, the water is pure now. Berkey. And then he just hits you with a Berkey ad. Nobody seems to really get the bait. They don't see the bait in the sell. Anyway, Visigoth, we are at 50 minutes. Um, I think that this is, we've done a, the hour has gone very fast. I think we should definitely do another show. But is there anything else to kind of bookend uh, this little discussion that you would like to end with? Uh, We kind of hit the high points, generally speaking. Uh, Yeah, I would like to get back into some of the things that occurred during that time. I mean, I was look. I was just looking for where we're going to go, and I found it. But there were interesting things that happened along the way that revealed the nature of, let's put it this way, medicine and government that I think are really key. Because now at this stage of my life, you know what? Such a sad thing is that the two things I always feared the most was going to prison and to a hospital, and that's really sad in the United States. Yeah. So can. Hospital can be the most dangerous place to go. You know? Man, I tell you, with this coronavirus, too, I don't think any of us think that it's really all that organic, although it is. But what what um, mileage the governments can get out of this, that'll be interesting to see. Yes. How it really was all about, uh, you know, wellness. Yeah. I mean, we could end up with, uh, with cashless society at the other end. Guys, cash has got corona. We got to uh, everybody get a card, get a chip. Anyway, so it's Visigoth again. You have just so many hours or are available online at radioforall.net. You got to type in Alembic into the search bar, and there's a hundred hours there. There's also hundreds of hours on YouTube under Visigoth, and there's probably more under Alembic, which I didn't search for. But uh, you're not really even on any social media anymore, are you? You mean like Facebook and stuff? Facebook, yeah. I guess it's just your email, huh? Yeah, no, I, I want any part of that. I mean, okay. it's to me, yeah. I, I, I at this stage of my life, I do like the privacy. I, I kind of think social media, if you need it for like business and stuff, fine. But to me, it's just we've returned to being five year olds. Like me? <laughs> Are you serious? Like me? No, screw you. All right, anyway. All right, man. Thanks so much. Visigoth, really uh, uh, one of the old, one of the greats, man. Still got good information, tons of old material, that uh, long form, factual material. Greg McGowan, so many others people, other people that are uh, definitely worth listening to. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Wayne. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, likewise. It's been great. All right. All right, three, yep. two, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Visigoth. We talked on March 6th. I uploaded that, so fairly recently, about two weeks ago. And we're just going to follow up and talk about some of his experiences and some of the interesting personalities he interviewed and met. I know we talked about Dave McGowan on our former interview. So this is a part two. And uh, we're just going to also cover maybe some current events as well for about an hour. So Visigoth, are you there? Yes, I am. Nice talking to you again. No, no. Thanks for uh, agreeing to join me. Um, So maybe we can just kind of pick up where we left off and talk about 
you're interesting. I know that you've come in contact with so many different types of people, and uh, maybe we can just start the, uh, use that as a starting point. Well, I tell you what, it's an icebreaker. You'll appreciate this. Um, I don't know if you remember a character out there by the name of Stu Webb. I do, yes. You do? He's still around. Okay. Yeah, I think he's still around. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't go those ways anymore. I, I, I kind of <clears throat> pulled up the zip and all that stuff. But I had Stu on a couple of times, and <laughs> this is when we're on the AM stations. And in the studio where uh, Harry and I did the shows, we were kind of catty corner from one another. He was at a table. He had his pull down mic. I had mine. I had to run the board. Well, Stu goes into one of his uh, colorful <laughs> discourses, and he says, "Yeah." He goes, "He goes one day. He goes, uh, I saw at the foot of my bed a seven hundred pound Baphomet with a bifurcated tail." And I looked across at Harry, and Harry looked at me, and we just dropped our heads like, "Oh Lord." <laughs> right. I mean, this is going out over the air, too. It isn't like it's a podcast or anything like that, you know, which goes out also. But I mean, this is, you know, this goes out. It's, you got no control over it. There's no editing it. I mean, sure. it's live radio. And it's it's like, oh, my goodness, here we are. Brother, where art thou? But so, he, he was supposedly a whistleblower, right? Wasn't he supposedly like a CIA whistleblower or something like that? I tell you what, uh, I, I like Stu. Something was going on there. In the beginning, I think he was very... Uh, honest and had something to, to deliver but then afterwards it, it got a little crazy and you know and i don't want to bang on them but i mean some of the stuff they went into and i don't know if you remember this there was the franco-american alliance in chicago that were fighting the brit intelligence in the united states no. and they had a shootout in chicago subways oh, so i no. call a couple of my friends in chicago i'm going maybe this wasn't a really big news article but do you get anything a whiff of anything that had to do with a shootout in the chicago subways and they're like no you know, and this is the kind of stuff that happened. And that's, you know, I mean, even what's his face? It ran uh, BT, uh, Veterans Today. Gordon, what's his oh, name? Gordon, right. Yeah, he had some crazy stories, too. Half the stuff he put on was garbage. Yeah. He's the one who admitted it. I mean, you know. And yeah, it's the kind of stuff that doesn't help anything. It may be it may be high theater and fun, but, you know, it, it belittles everybody who's being serious about what they do. Right, no, it's, it, and it kind of pollutes the punch bowl, right? Yeah, but, I mean, but I will say, uh, Stu steered me into a, a number of interviews that were good, that had to do with, what's that, that one school in California? McMartin? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and he got a person that was involved in that. So, I mean, he was not without, you know, some good information, but where it went, I mean, uh, so that's... The I, guy's I, name I, is Gordon... Gordon Duff. Gordon Duff was veterans Duff, today. Yeah. yeah, he had all kinds of crazy stuff. But do you, have, do you see the recent FBI drop of McMartin material? No. Yeah, no, there was in something else, but they it was within the Finders. Have you ever heard of the Finders case? No. I, if I did, I've forgotten. Yeah, it was something that happened in Tallahassee. Somebody There was an arrest of two guys, and they had little kids in the car. They were like eight or nine, and they were like savages, unwashed, but there was a drop of the FBI, and inside that drop was the McMartin, one-page McMartin file, where they had topography of the entire McMartin preschool, which has now been, you know, it's gone. It was basically plowed over. But they had the tunnels, yep. they had a pentagram on a piece of paper, they had, inside of McMartin, they had an internal light that only in, but somebody inside could see. 
and they had doors that only locked one way. It was crazy. They had some really incredible information. Do you remember who you talked to or you interviewed uh, about it, McMartin? It, it was a woman. Um, was it Jackie McGauley? Yeah, it sounds right. That does sound right. Yeah, so you actually had her. I tried to get her to talk about it because she was really involved, but she doesn't want to do interviews anymore. Um, I'll I tell you, the one that had the most gravity and, um, I mean, was very moving and probably the deepest I ever got into uh, a high-profile case was what took place in Florida with uh, Terry Schiavo. Does that ring a bell? Right, yeah, we talked about that last time. We talked about Schiavo briefly, yeah. You mentioned her, but that was an intense case. Can you talk about the facts of that and what happened? Well, we had the brother on once with Pat Anderson, who was a lawyer for them. But there was a Mr. X kind of person who was feeding me information through emails. And I looked at it, and I'm like, holy mackerel. And I, and I said to Pat, uh, is this stuff good? She said, yes, it is. And, you know, it's been a while now, and, and memory doesn't serve necessarily. But uh, what happened was it was questionable whether or not Terry was injured through a domestic abuse situation. Uh, apparently her husband gave a different description of what happened and where her body was as opposed to what the police found when they came in. Uh, the other thing was interesting is that Judge Greer, who, who sat on this case, was an um, investor in a hospice down around you know, Clearwater or, uh, or uh, St. Petersburg. Now, what's interesting about this is that Terry was being kept in hospice. And you're not supposed to be in hospice unless you're terminal. Right. But she wasn't. And the family was saying, what is it to anybody? If you've given up on her, why can't we have her? The Shivos. And that was the battle. And what Pat Anderson said to me one time, it's like, she goes, I mean, they're withholding, I guess, food and drink or whatever. And she said, you know, what's interesting is that in the state of Florida, if you do that with an animal, it's a felony. With an animal, with a pet. Right. right. So uh, they were saying that she is not as bad as everyone says it is. And, of course, what I'm saying is also, you know, with Greer being involved in hospice and the hospice that Terry was in, that didn't look all that great. Um, and the question, again, was whether or not there was a crime at the very uh, core of this. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't want Terry released to the family. But, I mean, that's, you know, when you talk about this, and, and she obviously she died later on. Um, but I mean, that's really grim, you know, and one of the things that Terry said, uh, what Pat Anderson said was, you know, talking about these things about, well, do they have quality of life? You know, let's see what kind of quality they have. And she said, well, who's going to decide that? You know, and that really is the sticking point time and time again, who's going to make the decisions as to what's quality. Right. And that was a huge story. It was all over the, the, the TV and everything, whether they were going to, you know, turn off her her apparatus, right? Right. Uh, and there's one thing I found really disconcerting. And because we were in the area, not far from where all that took place, up in Pasco County, uh, and it was known that I had done a radio show, and I, I worked in a library in college. Uh, and, of course, everybody's an academician and has an opinion and such. But what I found it, that it, it broke along two lines – People who felt that Terry had a right to be 
saved, if you will, that the family, what is the harm of the family taking her and, and trying to care for her? And the others who said, no, I mean, she should, she should just die. I mean, she, she's useless theater. And those people, to it, to uh, the last one, were all big time environmentalists and PETA people. Wow, interesting. And I mean, I, I find that very uniform because depopulation is a big deal with, with the radical environmentalists and such. Right. So they had no sympathy for, for her whatsoever. You know, yet one of them would like to you know, cross the double yellow to avoid a squirrel and get a head-on crash with three other people, you know? Right. But it is interesting because oftentimes, in your, I think at least in my mind, or my outlook, those types of people are typically, you know, back to nature, right to, you know, uh, life is important. Or, But you, it's interesting that they would just pull the plug on somebody, you know, or want to. Who would you, who are the people, how would you describe the people who wanted, or whose opinion was to keep her alive? How would you describe them? Practically everyone else. I everyone mean, else, gotcha. Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody's certainly entitled to their opinion, but I was kind of chilled by the fact that the, the, those who felt that she should be uh, euthanized were big time, like I said, you know, radical environmentalists and, and uh, PETA people. That is interesting, and I think a lot of people don't know that there there are is a very far uh, strange outliers of these environmentalists. They really don't, you know, they're they're in the depopulation agenda. They wouldn't mind if a lot of people died, um, and they ended up that was the, it was a judicial ruling to uh, let her die. Is that correct? Was didn't it end up in yeah. court? Yeah. I mean, in the end, it took her. I mean, they cut I think everything off. And it took her, I, I think, like six days or more to die. Wow. So they weren't feeding her or doing anything, huh? So, uh, so that was that. That was, that was when you walk away from, and there's just nothing good about it. You know what I mean? It's sad. It's tragic. Uh, and it has, a, it's, its postscript is, uh, doesn't really bode well for, a, you know, humanity. So. Right. And I mean, it's, yeah. Wow. So what, uh, do you recollect any other uh, interviews or anything else that kind of kept with you? I mean, you've seen a lot of kind of people come and go. Like, I know that some of these personalities uh, are kind of still around, some of them. Well, I mean, here's what happened. Because I had started out on this to find out for my own self. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying doing the radio shows and stuff. I started off researching as to what is it all about? What, what is the way that the world really is? What is the truth about the United States? Because I would hear things, and I'm probably one of the last now in my cohort that are going to remember the way things were in the 50s, you know, in the 60s. Um, and, you know, as I said, when I was a kid, I, I heard stuff, you know, what adults say when they don't think kids are listening. And of course, they are. Right. And I never forgot that kind of stuff. And then there were questions I had uh, growing up. And by the time I was in high school, I mean, all hell broke loose. I mean... Uh, JFK gets popped in 63, Bobby gets popped in what, 68? Right. Martin King gets popped. And, and I, I, we all sat there like in the cafeteria, you know, like looking around and going, What's happening? Like, where, did you go to, where did you go to high school? Uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. New Jersey. How far so outside just, of how New York is that? About six miles across the George Washington. Far, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, we just. We, I mean, it's funny what kids will get 
used to if, if they think like it's normal. You know what I mean? Especially abused kids. When they come out, sometimes it's like, oh, no, nobody else gets beaten like this. <laughs> right. Know? No, it's very true. They think their family, I'm, every family's like theirs. Yeah, no, it's, that's true. And I'm sure that's a coping mechanism. And God bless them that they have that to at least survive. And then they find out, no, it's not really like that, Johnny. So anyway, what I was doing, I mean, I was starting to realize that the Patriots and the, uh, the two networks of, of note at that time, GCN and RBN, they had all these people coming on talking about the same thing. And it wasn't making sense. And one of the biggest things was, for instance, like I would hear people that would call into one of the shows and say, well, you know, I try to use the Constitution as a defense. And, they, and the judge said, if I said it one more time, they'd hold me in contempt. And that made me curious. Um, I, you know, and when in history class, you'd ask the teachers, like, uh, if, if people try to, to um, use money and influence to get something done, they would call that bribery. So what's the difference between that and lobbyists? Right. <laughs> you know, I right. mean, it's structurally, it's the same. And, you know, the, the teachers be like, well, uh, you know, uh, well, and it doesn't right. make sense. I mean, even the electoral college is like, we don't really vote for the president directly. No. We have an electoral college. Well, you got to understand. Well, no, I don't understand. I understand that it was it was birthed because apparently at that time people were not sophisticated or informed enough to vote. So they created electors. But that isn't the case. It hasn't been for Lord knows like a century. And we still have an electoral college. Right. And of course, what's funny is, and then you realize in 2000 and 2004, when the when the uh, election wasn't going the way it was supposed to, all of a sudden, what we in, in in 2000 we had a recount in Florida, and in what 04 there was one in Ohio. And I'm bringing that up because they go to the states with the most amount of electoral votes, so they don't have to scramble across four or five states. So they picked Florida in in 2000, and they picked Ohio in 04. Right, so those are the key levers to get Bush back into back into office both times. Yeah, I mean, and that what doesn't matter anymore because you have this is what cracks me up. Early voting. When did we decide we couldn't vote on election day? No, we have early voting now, and electronic voting, which of course makes everything a total right you know, zero. Absolutely questionable. Yeah, intentionally, it's got to be by design, right? Like we don't. Yeah, we don't want you to have a third party look at the vote. Give me a break. Well, a couple of days ago or a week ago or so, I heard this like little news bite. You know, when you're doing things in the house and you got the news on and you're walking back and forth and you hear things that you might not even pay that much attention if you were sitting there and looking at it and going into a, a daze. But it was like, oh, they're lamenting the, the, uh, the low number of, uh, vote, uh, of voters uh, and what they can do about it. And I'm like, well, you can do you can go back and do what you should have undone. Give the people a holiday and they'll vote. Right. But they don't want to do that. They don't really want it. They say they do, but they don't. So now we have early voting. And this is so that something like 2000 and 2004 will never happen again. They use that early voting, you can bet, as exit polls. They can find out where it's going. It's a sampling. Yes. And they can do their little spinmeister routine so that the voting doesn't go sideways as it did in 2000 2004. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's always been fixed. I mean, I think it always goes back, don't you think? Even back to Kennedy. Well, well, we know that one was fixed. Right, we know that 1960. Yeah, that's when I went to bed. That's the first election I remember. And my parents were like Nixon people, you know. 
And Nixon was looking real good. And I went to bed, not that I care, you know, but that Nixon was going to be president. Next morning, it's like Kennedy's president. It's like, what happened? And they're looking <laughs> at it like, hey, what did they know? Hey, that <laughs> happened to Trump, Trump, Clinton. I, I was just like, okay, Clinton presidency. I went to bed. I woke up. Trump was president. Same thing happened, man. I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, well, in 04, <clears throat> I was working a really weird shift at the library because we were shorthanded. I went from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. So on election night 2004, uh, you know, I get home at 2, I can't go to sleep, right? So I'm, so I'm watching all the shenanigans in, in late night uh, voting. And, and I had a laugh because Mel Fernandez was, was running for his, a Senate or I think a Senate uh, seat, uh, federal, in Florida. And Fernandez was a big Republican cog. I think he came out of HUD uh, and he was a real crony. So Betty Castor, I believe, was the caster that was the president of the U- University of South Florida. I swear I saw this. I'm sitting there, and she gives an acceptance speech. And I'm going, geez, Fernandez lost. Whoa, how did they let that happen? Right? Okay, and the other thing is, Arlen Specter's getting his ass kicked in Pennsylvania. Right. And I'm going, well, what do you know? Because when after Specter did that magic bullet trip, you know what I mean, and sold that yeah. stink. Yeah. I mean, he was made for life. I mean, he's Made never for life. Anything. Made for life, yes. So as the night goes on, it's like 6 a.m. now, and Mel Fernandez gives an acceptance speech. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wasn't that Castor? I'm going, am I crazy? Well, I may be crazy, but didn't I see that? And then Arlen Specter comes from no, from behind and wins in Pennsylvania. Going, that's more like it. Yeah, you know? there, that's the good one. Have I ever and, told you my Arlen Specter story that I was well, – <laughs> Well, here it comes. Uh, the Back when I was working for John Clark, I don't know if you remember that interview I did with you, but I was delivering that addendum to the Star Report, right? So I did it. I carried all those things to all those offices. So I went into each office and held, held them out. So I had to go into Arlen Specter's office at the Senate building to go deliver it. And I walked in, and he had the biggest vanity wall that you could ever imagine of him with all these people. And like most vanity walls would be like, oh, there's like eight things. He had he had pictures all the way down to right above the top of the chair. So somebody had to, have, you know, so he just had him with everything he wanted. And uh, it's just something that I remember is like, oh, man, this guy knows everybody. And he had all their pictures on there. But, uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, man, this is a, the Arlen Specter. That's him. I'll never forget that night in 04. I mean, I don't make a habit of staying up, but, I mean, I had to. I had no no choice. But what I saw, I could not believe. But then I said, you know what? You know, here's another brick in the wall of what I'm trying to, to, to build, and that is what is it really about? Right. You know, and it's it's corruption and wickedness in high places, to right. be honest with you. You know, have you, that's all there is to it. Have you ever read uh, Hunter S. Thompson's uh, comments on the 2000 elections and George H.W. Bush? Can I read this to you? It's incredible. This is Hunter S. Thompson. Quote, there was one exact moment, in fact, when I knew for sure that Al Gore would never be president of the United States, no matter what the experts were saying. And that was when the whole Bush family suddenly appeared on TV and openly scoffed at the idea of Gore winning Florida. It was nonsense, said the candidate. Utter nonsense. Anybody who believed Bush had lost Florida was a fool. The media, all of them, were liars and dunces, or treacherous whores trying to sabotage his victory. Here was the whole bloody family, laughing and hooting and sneering, 
at the dumbness of the whole world on national TV. The old man was the real tip-off. The leer on his face was almost frightening. It was like looking into the eyes of a tall hyena with a living sheep in its mouth. The sheep's fate was sealed, and so was Al Gore's. The whole presidential election, in fact, was rigged and fixed from the start. You know, he also wrote a really great book. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, but Fear and Loathing and the Campaign Trail, 1972. Yeah, No, I have not read that. I haven't read most of his stuff, unfortunately. Well, I tell you, I don't think he believed at that time, as most of us did. I mean, we, we didn't come out of the cradle thinking everything was rigged. But, I mean, he wrote just a really incisive book with a lot of humor in it. And I'll tell you what, even in the epigraphs he had at the beginning of uh, certain chapters were really moving. And one of them was that Be Angry at the Sun. That's where I found that poem. Oh, interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. From, from Thompson. That's fascinating. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was, if you get a chance, that book has not aged. Uh, and I think that's, that's worth a read. I will. I'll, I'll take a look if I get a chance. <clears throat> but, you know, as, as I, as I went through this whole radio thing, um, it was right around the time that I had, had done, uh, audios with you. And I'm thinking that's probably 04 through 06 or something like that. Um, I, I found some stuff by someone that was called the Informer, and it looked really interesting. And I and I looked around and nobody had interviewed him, so I contacted him, and I asked him if um, if he'd be willing to come on and just break it down for all the research that he and his uh, cohort uh, James Montgomery did. And I, and I told him I said, you know what, I, I kind of understand now the way of the world, but the one thing I was hoping was that. The United States was legit, top to bottom, and um, I found that it wasn't. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, you go right back to, and look, look at it this way. Like I said about we've been propagandized and believe we can't be propagandized. <clears throat> Everybody, I mean, the public school system, or all any, any education, from kindergarten through uh, 12th grade, that is a powerful, powerful population tool. Yes, and I mean, I'm not blaming the teachers because they went through the same thing. And so they got propagandized as well. And so you go through that. And I mean, it's tough to break. And I understand why people don't. I was just that kind of person. I was like, well, why? Uh, how come? And uh, in fact, I'll tell you another thing, too. It's I had a guy by the name of Rex Curry, who is a Tampa lawyer. And he has a website, rexcurry.net. That's C-U-R-R-Y. And I did a number of shows with him about the origins of the Pledge of Allegiance, the salute, and what that was all about. And I, I swear the only reason why public education allowed the Bible in the schools was to forge a counterfeit amalgam of, like, God and country. God, God shed his grace on thee. Right. No, he didn't. And I mean, if you, if you want to talk spirituality, God is no respecter of countries. He sees individuals. He doesn't see countries. There's no country that seeks after the Lord because there's no person that seeks after the Lord. So this bit about having the Bible in the school made that happen. Do you know how many evangelical Christians, and I say that because they're supposed to have read their Bibles, think that patriotism is, of, is, is commanded by God? All of them? You know, you can't. <clears throat> I mean... 
How can any self-respecting person who says they believe on Jesus Christ and his word, how can you look at a guy like Trump and, and, and believe he's born again? Are you kidding me? Well, I think that he does a good job of talking to them. I mean, those are his support base, so I think he caters to them for sure. But without a doubt, but you can't you can't uh, erase the record of him and his deeds. I mean, to me, he, he acts like a drunk uncle. Nobody wants a Thanksgiving, but you have to invite him. I mean, he he's not like I mean, but to act like that much of a lout. I mean. How can anybody say, one, we want him as a president, and two, he's a Christian? I mean, when Jerry Falwell's out there, yeah. some of them started to uh, support him. I'm going, what are you doing? Right. Hey, they and supported George W. Bush, too. Oh, my God. You know, well, you know, he's not a I Christian either. Think, I think Christians think that GOP means God's own party. Well, you know that's true, I mean? yes. For some so strange reason, yes. Just, yeah. And, you know, you know, it's funny, too, because... I don't know, if you allow me to do something here. Yeah, of course. All right, I, this to me speaks volumes, and it's, it, it comes from Luke 4 5. And this is the time when the devil was tempting the Lord. And here it is. And the devil taking him high into a uh, I'm sorry, taking him up into a, a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. But that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Now there's two things in here that are telling. One, the word kingdoms. I think Christians think that that's an archaic word and it only meant back then. But when they use the word kingdom, it, it meant government. It didn't mean the people. And when it, you take a look in like Strong's Concordance, and it's very interesting that the word kingdom means government. Interesting. So what he's saying is all the governments, and he showed them all in one time. That means past, now, and, and, and future. Now, if, if Satan is in control of them, and the Lord did not um, uh, did not contradict him, uh, did not refute him, because it's true, until at an appointed time when the Lord will take care of things. So at that time, I mean, the devil's giving it to him, and it's straight. So here's what I'm saying. It's nobody good. I'm sorry, but there's nobody that's, that's a born-again Christian or somebody who really believes on Jesus who's in public office. It is impossible. You go into a cesspool, you're going to get doo-doo on you. And that's all there is to it. So how in the world can you look at these people who profess to be Christians and are in, in government? It's in Satan's control. I mean, the only decent people I ever knew that were in a, a congressional or a senatorial seat, and I thought really were for real, lasted like one term because right. they couldn't take yeah, no, there's there's very short termers. You get in and out real fast. Or if they buck the system, the party system is there to uh, destroy. Uh, you know, uh, the the nail that sticks up out of the headboard. You know, that's really what they do. They do it all the time. They can what? actually just destroy party members if they want to. They just don't give them any money and run something against them. There's all kinds of techniques they got. I mean, you get told this is the way it is, Bob, and if you don't yeah. play ball, you're gone. Yeah. You know, you're going to be ostracized, and you're just going to go back home. Yeah, well, the, the, some of the, it's a sweet job. You should see how many resignations there are in Congress. Like, oh, I just decided to go home and be with my family. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. It's a cush job. You get paid like 187000 a year. Why would you ever quit, you know? 
So are you saying that those people understood how dirty it was and said, I'm not doing this? Either that or they got caught with something or they just insulted somebody in the party or something happened wrong. I mean, when I was there, I mean, there were so there, there just a lot of real dirty stuff happened, a lot of sexual inappropriateness and stuff like that. And those people were just asked to leave very quietly. There was no um, fanfare. There was no report in any media. They just decided to leave for one reason or another. Because somebody at either the party or somebody in the ethics thing said, we got stuff on you. We can either prosecute you or you can quit. You know, or we can have a hearing or you can quit. And so they just quit. In some instances. But there's also instances where, like just like you said, you really go after the Federal Reserve, you're a goner. There's very few people who said certain things and survived much, very long, you know. I'm surprised that the Rand Paul and Ron Paul have survived so long with their criticism of the Federal Reserve. So. Yeah, but you know, it's it's funny because, I mean, Ron Paul wasn't going, wasn't going anywhere. I mean, he would he would win his seat time and time again, but, I mean, they just let, they just let him hang around because he wasn't doing anything. Well, true. I mean, he never mapped any kind of campaign. So, I mean, he really didn't, you know, he didn't mess up the furniture so you can let him, he right. can let him stay around. Right. Well, that's but, true. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to say to you about this that I thought was kind of funny, when you talk about the nature of government, and it also comes from the Bible, and I mean, if there's humor in the Bible, I think you could see the humor in this. But to me, it explains what government is. And this comes at the time when the tribes didn't want Jehovah to be both their spiritual and secular leader as he was, which is why he tied, because that was for the secular side of things. Um, they wanted a king like everyone else did. Right. And he t- they talked to Samuel, and poor Samuel's like, oh, man, I got to go I gotta go to Jehovah and tell him this. Right. So, uh, so, so here, here he goes. He comes up to uh, Jehovah. And, uh, and, of course, Jehovah already knows what he's going to tell him because he's Jehovah. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and this is what he responds to him. Uh, he goes, uh, he, he, he tells Samuel, don't worry about it. And in, in uh, 1 Sammy, I think it's 8, 11, it says, and he said, meaning Jehovah, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before the chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And will set them to ear, uh, set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and it goes on and he will take the tenth of your seed and he will take your manservants and he will take a tenth of your sheep. And the last verse is, and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. But I mean, when he goes yeah. through this stuff, we'll take it. And I'm like looking at ourselves go, well, here we are. Yeah. So, oh yeah. No question. I, I just thought that was a loaded, a loaded, uh, uh passage. Well, I think it's important. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of questions about, you know, the current U.S. government. Why is there a District of Columbia? Why is all this? I mean, uh, we were talking before about the federal judicial system and all kinds of, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's all kinds of ends of court. There's a lot of interesting elements to the law that uh, the public would probably be surprised to find out about. Uh, and and they really don't want to find out. That's the whole true. thing. Yeah. If you, if you actually, and you probably have gotten a chance to talk to people you're not really sure about, but you find that there's a, maybe a time for it, and you go in it meekly, and you realize that they do, they've been thinking pretty much the same thing. 
But then when they get too close to the fire, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, no. They, you know, I remember Randy Morgan's years ago had one of the best sayings I ever heard. And he goes, people love to be beguiled. Yeah. There you go. That's right. That's really we'll true. Yeah. Still true. Still true. So, so with, um, so with the informer, uh, we started to do a number of shows that got deeper and deeper into um, the nature of government. And he had it with documentation. Um, and really what it was from the very beginning, uh, even our founding fathers were anything but patriarchal, if you know what I mean. I mean, Jefferson's got to be the biggest hypocrite that ever hit the streets. You know, who else would have the temerity to go ahead and make his own Bible? Right. Good point. Yeah, you know, he, and, and he excised all kinds of important passages. Anything having to do with uh, miracles was taken out, right? Something yeah, like I'm going to bet that he's in a dirt room. Yeah. <laughs> right? but, but it's the same thing with Washington and them. And then Gordon Comstock and, and Eric the Blacksmith got involved in, in going down other tributaries. Gordon did a lot of stuff that Gustav Myers wrote. Um, Eric went into uh, the anti-federalist papers. Nobody even knows it was an anti-federalist group who were warning about the Constitution. And, and that's one of the things I, I remember uh, talking to I-Man and saying that there were a number of the founders, if you will, guys like Patrick Henry and such, that didn't think it was a good idea but signed on anyway. And I said to him one time, I said, you know, I-Man... If they knew it, why in the world did they sign it? He goes, because above all else, they were lawyers. And there you go. Um, you know, you look at the people who, who uh, supposedly wrote the, the Constitution. And I mean, how many of them were slavers? You, you're talking about freedom of, of, of human beings. They were slavers. They were bankers. They were land barons. And, and this is the normal hoi polloi. Right. Now, another interesting thing, by the way, and I'll give you links for this if you want to put them up. There's a book called Sources of the Constitution by C. Ellis Stevens. It was written in 1894. And in it, uh, and I mean, he's not trying to do anything except lay it straight. I mean, he is a Brit. There's no two ways about it. But he wrote that the creation of the Constitution in the United States was not from the ground up. It was a knockoff of the British Constitution. So when those guys went down there for those three days in Philadelphia, don't think they wrote the whole thing right then and there. It was already pretty much put together. Um, and here's the statement from uh, Ellis. Um, as I go through my notes. All right, here we go. An assembly could hardly have been convened in the United Kingdom more English as to race and political training that that made up of the 53 delegates who composed the federal convention. Uh, and it says, uh, but it is beginning to be realized that the Constitution of the United States, though possessing elements of novelty, is not, after all, the new creation that this idea would imply. It is not, properly speaking, the original composition of one body of men nor the outcome of one definite epoch. It is more and better than that. It does not stand in historical isolation, free of antecedents. It rests upon very old principles, principles laboriously worked out by long ages of constitutional struggle. The other thing is this, and you are a lawyer, right? Yeah. 
is is not our whole system of law based on English civil code? Yeah, it's common law, right? Right. So why would not? I mean, it would follow that if we were going to take a governing document, we stayed with what we came with, and sure. that was what the Brits had done. Yeah, we're still we're still based upon all the British stuff, you know, British material, you know, common law. It all goes back to that precedent, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, so but Americans don't get taught that. They don't get taught what you just said about the predicates to the Constitution, the old world predicates or what they fought for in England. They don't ever hear that. They just hear But is it because we, we have our culture, our history has nearly deified the founders? Yes, no question. And along with that comes, there's such great men, they sat down and they knocked out the Constitution in, in three days. Right. Well, they're our founding fathers, right? That the means they're the, yeah, capital well, F, capital F. But here's the greater insult. <clears throat> Nobody appointed them to go down. There was no vote to send them down there. They just did it. Now, they, some say they were appointed by their governors and all that other states. Okay, fine. But the point is the people had nothing to do with who went down there. However, they were told that they were going down there to tweak the Articles of Confederation. All right? right? Not supplant it with the Constitution. Now, even if the Articles of Confederation weren't going to be doable in time to come, you still don't lie to the populace. You don't tell them you're going to do one thing and do completely something else, and that's what they did. And that spawned a whole bunch of uh, revolts and protests around the country because most of the colonists who fought for the, uh, the federal army did it because of the notion that they were going to have separate states. It would have been more like a Swiss canton situation. They didn't want to be part of a big thing. Right. So what happened was, according to the informer, the Brits, the Brits uh, funded the colonies. They did. They put up the money, starter money, and they wanted their return. And they frankly told the founders, who had businesses over in England and elsewhere, and they were told that things were going to get really rough for them if they didn't go ahead and corral the 13 states because England was not in any way, shape, or form going to chase after 13 different entities to get their money. So they told them, you better do something about it or we'll come over and this time be really serious. So they created the, the Constitution foremost to federate the 13, uh, 13 states. So what are these new, the colonists who were these new citizens of the United States who fought for not what they had back in England, didn't want that or what their fathers had. Right. They got turned around. They got screwed right away. They didn't want a federal government, and they got one. And later on, they didn't want a federal bank, and they got one. Right. And so you had all these rebellions that popped up. <clears throat> and the, I guess the most famous of them all is the Shea Rebellion in Massachusetts. And then it gets even better. When these guys come home from the Army and now have to make something out of their farms, which they haven't been near for who goes how long, they get told, hey, you owe taxes. They're like, what are you kidding me? We we were busy fighting for you. And he's like, sorry, but you owe. And then he started foreclosing. This is the new the new country. You know, the bastion of freedom in a new way. And this is what happened right out of the chute. And then Washington, president, and what, Hamilton, secretary of treasury, I guess at that time, they lead a, a, a federal troops into western Pennsylvania and kick some hillbillies around because... Their distilleries were given Washington's back east too much competition. Competition, right. Interesting. You have a, a president and a secretary of the president is going to come out. Uh, I mean, are you kidding me? 
but this is the way it started off, and it's never really changed. Yeah, but well, I mean, the whole thing about the, even the revolution itself was about money, about taxation, about cash, you know, about where they're going to take their money. It was a rich man's, and all the guys who were signing were all land. I mean, Washington himself was a huge landowner. Again, yeah, I yeah. mean, this was an elite war. I mean, yeah. a, elite started war, and who fights it? You know, the, yeah. the good old peasants. Yeah, the peasants, as usual, right? The peasants do it. And the peasants I mean, get to propagandize and fight it. For you know, freedom, I mean, for freedom. Freedom, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I, I, we've had it better than most in this world. And there's no two ways about it. And I'm not kicking our government just because I'm, I'm a malcontent. I now realize after I went through this for the last 15 years that it's the nature of government and it never changes. Yeah. We just get told it is because, well, we're Americans and we tell the truth. Right. No, you don't. Right. And I mean, and that's all I needed to know, that it's not going to get any better, that there's not going to be any kind of new epoch that's going to arise out of anything. It, history is a rerun of the same failed ex social experiments. They always collapse. It always happens like that. And that's what we're here now. The only thing I think that's different now is that our time, I think, is at hand. And we've only been around for, what, not even 300 years. Right. I think we're the uh -huh. longest surviving rep so-called republic. That's on the earth now, you know. I don't know how long the Roman Republic lasted for, but yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think we're we're yeah. Things are going to be very interesting. I mean, we were talking in uh, the pre-show about what's happening these days around the country, and you were talking. You made a reference to a book I wasn't aware of by Isaac Asimov. What was the name of the book again? No, it's a short story short that story. you can find online entitled. Uh, the winnowing. The winnowing. And how so, long? How many? How many pages is it? Like how short of a short story? Oh, it's 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 a short short. Oh, okay. It was really done well. It was it was contained in a, uh, I think what might have been a compilation of short stories called uh, uh I, boy I can't now memory serves, and it was another one in there too called the Centennial Man, Centennial. but you can find the winnowing online. So and I'm not saying that Asimov was for this, but I'm always amazed. It has certain writers like Philip Dick. Uh, I mean, you take a look at a lot of them. Uh, Burgess, Bradbury, Huxley, Orwell. Uh, all the futuristic works and never portend anything but gloom and doom. Right. They, I mean, they, it's never, gee, it's going to get better. No, it's not. Um so with Asimov, what the story was, was that there was a group of powerful, shadowy people who wanted to depopulate. So they decided to screw around. This is like the real short version. They screwed around with the lipoprotein in grains and just let them go out, which at that time when I read it, I'm like, okay, is this what GMO is? And what was going to happen was it was going to sicken the population. The strong would survive, the not so strong would get sick and recover, and anyone else would die. And the, pop, you know, the, the people would not know where this is coming from. They would just figure it's an epidemic. So, I, you know, think about that and what's happening now. I thought it was, it was here with the GMO because nobody knows what in the world's going to happen. How many people were sickened because of they ate something they didn't know they were allergic to. Right. Yeah. No, you don't. I mean, you don't know how many of these illnesses are because of that, because things have been tinkered around. Them. And, and i got to say, one of the biggest disappointments in my life 
is taking a look at what's going on above us and has been going on above us for at least 20 years. And, and nobody says, I mean, that isn't contrails, man. That's, that's aerosolizing space. Yeah. And what, what, what struck me as funny was I, I had a friend that was a pilot for Continental. And I said to him, I'm going, could commercial airlines spray? He says, no. He goes, they can't. He says, you can't mess around with, you know, Royal Royce, Royal Royce, what's it? Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce engines, excuse me. Because right. uh, the tolerances wouldn't allow it. Now, one time when I was, I was skating at a, at a, what they call a well field down in Florida. Those well fields are of water, not of oil. And I took a, um, a telephoto lens with me. I didn't have any film. I just wanted to use it as binocular. And I was just hoping I could catch one of them because the horizon down in Florida is just so vast. I mean, you can see a lot of stuff. And I saw uh, one of these unmarked white, you know, C-130s or whatever flying overhead. And I put the, the, uh, the lens on it. And sure enough, out of two back dispensaries came the trails. I saw them kick in. Wow. Now, I were talking about it. And he was saying, oh, no, no. I'm going, look. I go, Pete. We lived in Western New York. We were within a triangle of LaGuardia, Kennedy, and Newark. We played stickball and football and hockey. We were outdoors all the time. We never saw tic-tac-toe boards above us. But, you know, I mean, he, de- he defended it. And I'm like, all right, Pete, you know, but I mean, and we're not friends anymore. But, <laughs> but, I mean, there's two people who came from the same place. And, of course, he went into the industry, but he also, you know, doesn't want to believe that things do go bump in the night. But I had a laugh. It was about two months ago. There was an article about what what we we're going to do about the pollution that uh, uh, commercial airline travel was creating, and they showed pictures of contra- I mean contrails. But that can't come out of commercial airliners. So in other words, right. they went ahead and verified what we all suspected. That is, that's not normal. It's not normal, right? No, I've seen incredible stuff here in LA. No question. I mean, what are your thoughts about this current situation with, uh, you know, what's happening uh, around the world? Well, what I'll say is this. Uh, you can have people email me at visigoth at hotmail.com if they want this. Uh, there is a book that was written in 2007. It's out in PDF form called Virus Mania. Some very serious heavy hitters that are anti-vaccines and such uh, wrote it. Uh and what they said that we're in an era not so much of viruses but of fear. We'll leave it at that. Uh, the way I feel about it is that you know p- these viruses just don't happen organically. So somebody's cooking it. Now, why it, why this happened in Wuhan? I don't know. You don't even know if later on this is going to be used as some reason to go to war with China. I mean, it's not that far fetched. It's not. No way. In fact, uh, John Pilger has a documentary out there, which kind of speaks of what we were talking about last time around, that there's going to be a third world war. It's going to happen on the Eurasian continent. It's going to be at least with China and most likely Russia. Um, so that's a possibility. I always thought that uh, we could, we would blame them for some kind of EMP that would knock the grid out and also banking. So, you know, you think you had $7,000 in a bank, guess what? It ain't there anymore. Right. And that's still on the horizon. But what right. I think is, is that, is that it, it's cooked. And I, I kind of believe that this wasn't disseminated through airline travel, that they, they strategically really made releases. Now, everything else after that, that I don't know. I mean, but the, the, main, the mainstream media has done nothing but 
just bang the drum for like, oh my God, we're all going to die. This is the bubonic plague. It's finished with, you know, blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, you hear reports about China who's getting back to normal. I mean, when we hear all this, it's like, oh, we have to go through that thing. Is that like time zones? Now we have to do what they did. But I mean, we're going crazy here. And like China's like getting back to normal. Right. Why? Why? I don't know. But this whole thing stinks. And I, I'm afraid that this is going to be the new normal. This, because you yeah. can see what it did. I mean, I'm, I'm watching day after day. Everybody's shutting stuff down. It's like turning into the streets of on the beach, you know? <laughs> Desolate, desolate streets with papers blown in the wind. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's so there's some surreal feelings here in L.A. No question. I mean, it's used to just be I mean, bumper to bumper so traffic. If you can do that, yeah. Well, I mean, if you can stop a country like that, I mean, who needs the domestic terrorism anymore? True. I mean, you don't need nine eleven if you can do this. Look, look at all that it wrought. Without even having to make believe they were bad guys who had box cutters and right. you know, took over planes. So blah, blah. fast, too. I mean, Gates on the Horizon is going to put a tattoo on you saying you've been tested or not. You know, that's going to be the new thing. Uh, do you have this? Do you not have this? That'll be either card or something. Yeah. So, you know, that's not that you know, far on the horizon. I remember in like some of my first history classes in college all those years ago, uh, I remember the professor saying, uh, one of the first and probably foremost elements of a totalitarian government is restricted travel. I just remember that. Right. And so I'm looking at this now going, oh, this is going to be interesting, you know. Right. <laughs> you have to have a special ID now to fly. Like, what is that going to do? All right, what is that making me safe from? So, you know, we're getting closer and closer to uh, let's see your papers. Yeah, no, it's not that far. I mean, here in uh, California, the governor's saying, you know, I can go to martial law if I feel like it. So, I mean, he's he's hinting at it. I don't know if that'll happen. I bet if you asked the average Californian two weeks ago that we'd be on a lockdown, I bet 95% would say no way. So, well, I mean, it's kind of fuzzy. I mean, if you, if you call the National Guard, is that martial law? I mean, technically, yeah. Right. Because yeah. uh, there's nobody else around. I mean, we don't have any troops here anymore, you know? I mean, it's Well, that's a else. good point. That's a great point. Yeah, it's uh, fact, there's a lot of changes that could happen very fast. Very fast. Well, there's, there's a scenario that goes along with what um, uh, Orwell wrote about, and also like we talked the other day about. Um, now you're gonna have to tell me who it is again. The guy, the guy that wrote Lord of the uh, Lord of the World. Lord Hugh of the Benson, World. Robert Benson, oh, Benson, Benson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now, I bought a book once from the Rosicrucians out of, uh, I believe it's uh, Quarrysville, Pennsylvania. I believe that's where it is. Uh, if you go to soul.org, S-O-U-L dot O-R-G, uh, you'll find the, uh, it's it's the official Rosicrucian site because they, they feel the ones that are in uh, San Jose. Yeah. I think there's another headquarters there. Yeah, I know yeah. the one in San Jose very well. They used to take us there as kids, elementary school day trips to go get indoctrinated. Well, these, these in Pennsylvania consider themselves the true uh, descendants of the uh, German Rosicrucians, and they're the real guys, and you're not. So. <laughs> Well, that's what they all say, <laughs> right? Well, two things that were really interesting about it. I get this book uh, called The Menisus Chronicles. And Menisus is spelled M-I-N-I-S-I-S, like man Isis. That's interesting. Right. And it was a futuristic book. I think the uh, author's name, which was obviously uh, a pseudonym, was Brewington. 
But they portrayed a scenario that I thought was very realistic. And it said that there came a time when the old world would have its vengeance on the new world. And that we would be invaded. And the only thing that would stop the fighting is that there was a, ge a geological global uh, cataclysm. So that places that were high were now made low. Places that were low right. were now made high. And the invading armies would uh, had to return to their own homelands. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, you know what? And the reason also was because there was nobody here. All our troops were elsewhere. Interesting. So I looked at that and that always stuck with me. And I do believe that that's pretty close to what's going to happen. The other thing that they did that I remember, uh, there was a book called like the 68th Conclave that came out in 1913. And in it, they talk about the new world here, right, would be completed where the capstone was placed atop the truncated pyramid. Right, right. right. Uh -huh. And they said that would only happen uh, when Mexico would be brought back into the fold as in days of old. And so in 1913, they were predicting pretty much what we have now. What we're going to have is a North American Union with Mexico right. being with us. Interesting. And so, so there's another thing. So I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, well, things will be interesting, that, that's for sure. I don't think that uh, there'll be a lack of subjects to study as things change in the near well, to medium future. Yeah. But now, you know, I mean... I'm not kicking any ass. I'm not going anywhere anymore. I mean, my day is done. But, I mean, for people, I mean, I can just, I, I would just say this. First of all, you can't change what's going to be. You know, again, if, if you were if you were in Poland in 1936 and were a six-year-old kid, what a bummer when the, when the Gustafs came in. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, no kidding, huh? You can't. Yeah, I mean, it's the luck of the draw. You can't ask why. I mean, that's the way it is. And I think we're coming to an era that's not going to be very pleasant, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Uh, but I would say this, there are two things I definitely would want to protect in the times that come, and that's my health and my money. And that's about all you can do, because I'm still going to hang on to cash, because God knows what's going to happen one day when you wake up and you realize that the grid burnt all your uh, computerized money. Right. I mean, well, the Chinese are making runs on banks already, so, I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that your bank won't work, you know. So, But we're, uh, Visigoth, we are at 55 minutes. Is there anything else that you'd like to add, or... Anything else you want to bookend this with? Hey, you, you want to give me another 55 minutes? Well, well, no, could. it's all right. Everything's fine. <laughs> I mean, i, I got to say, you got to live your lives no matter what. But there are things right. you can do. One of them, obviously, in this day and age, uh, keep your health. I mean, I stay away from vaccinations and anybody who wants to do such. I really don't go to the doctor at all unless I really have to. I mean, I, I just, I mean, if I want to get sick, I'll go to a doctor's office. That's right. pretty much what it looks like well, to me. Good point. And I wonder what he, I mean, I'm trying to make it through life without a surgery. I think that would be something worthy of pursuit. <laughs> so. I would agree with that as well. would agree with that as well. What, and you said your uh, email was visigoth at hotmail.com? Yeah. It's V-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T. Yeah, I have that. Right. If somebody wants to get in contact with you or see what kind of books you can send them, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, I'll give you the links, but if they are interested in seeing that. Oh, no, put the links. Um, I'll put them on the show. I put the links from the uh, last interview on YouTube, so I can put it on this one for sure. But anyway. So anyway, I, I appreciate this time. I appreciate you as well. I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we had this little follow-up. You can share all that knowledge you accrued over all that time. You know, it's, uh, I think it's helpful to the people out there, out in uh, podcast land. It's evergreen, you know, so... Somebody can find it two, three years from now, whatever.
Yeah, and I mean, for me, it was a journey accomplished. I wish I had found something different. It was not a pleasant thing. I wasn't looking for it. I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't revel in chaos. Uh, but what it is is what it is, and that's why I'm saying. I mean, my my feeling is the only way out is up. I mean, the cavalry ain't coming, but Jesus is there. So, awesome. That's a perfect way to end it. Again, Visigoth, internet legend. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. All right, take care.